My dad told me that man was put on this earth to work and you got to find what you love to do and wake up every day and go to work. So that's kind of what I, my dad taught me really is that, you know, men and, and, and women too, but men are put on this earth to go to work and you got to love what you do. So go to work. Tapping with identity impact. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the Identity Impact Podcast. I'm your host, Tim Cortazzo, and with me, as always, my co-host, Colin Johnov. Today, we have an interview with Jimmy Morrissey. Jimmy is a former University of Pittsburgh football player, currently uh, plays offensive line for the Houston Texans. Uh, Jimmy is just an awesome guy. I'm glad to get him on. He was a former teammate of Collins. Um, He won something called the Burlesworth Trophy. Anyone who's not familiar with that, it's awarded to the best football player in the country who was a former walk-on. So it's really cool to hear uh, Jimmy's story going from being a walk-on to uh, being awarded that, um, obviously, as, as the top player in the country uh, who was a former walk-on. So it's really cool to hear his story about how he walked on, um, kind of his inspiration for betting on himself, uh, and then obviously his story leading up to where he is now getting drafted uh, by the Raiders initially and, and kind of um, his story on, on how he got into the Houston Texans. And uh, we actually talk about his first start in the NFL too, which is really cool. So I'm excited for you guys to listen in on that. Uh, Colin, what's up, man? Give me, give me some insight on Jimmy, man. I know he's your, your former teammate. Yeah, no. So I think one thing you'll notice is, a lot of the guys we bring on here, I can't say enough good things about. That's why I want to get them on to, to share their story. And, and Jimmy's just going to give you a, a, a really good, positive, you know, outlook into kind of betting on yourself. Like you said, um, everybody's path is different. Everybody's story is different, whether you're a current or former athlete. And he's just going to give you another perspective. Uh, it's really good. It's really exciting to listen to. Um, and, you know, like I said, just can't say enough good things about Jimmy and uh, excited to get this rolling. If you're a football guy, Jimmy is like the ultimate football guy. Like that's the one of the main vibes I pick up uh, from talking to Jimmy. He just loves football. Like he is completely enamored with the game of football. And it's so cool to hear uh, that perspective because we talk about having a plan B all the time. And Jimmy's a smart guy. So I know he does have that plan B. But at the same time, like he that's all he wants to do is be a professional football player. He's been like that uh, growing up. And, and obviously he's living out his dream today. But uh, guys who are football heads listening in like Jimmy is, is the ultimate football guy. So it's, it's cool to, uh, to kind of draw some connections there for, for people who really love this game. All right. Here's our interview with Jimmy Morrissey. Jimmy, welcome to the podcast, man. What's going on? Nothing much. Thanks for having me. Yeah. I appreciate you coming on, Jimmy. You know, I think one of my favorite things about the podcast too, is just getting to connect with people I, haven't, I maybe haven't talked to in a little bit so you know it's good to see you it, it's been a couple years um so again thanks for coming on but, you know to to start off uh why don't you tell tell the listeners a little bit about you um kind of where you're from how you got into football and uh you know just as far as you want to go with it then we'll build from there sure so jimmy marcy i am uh, currently with the houston texans right now i play center i grew up in huntington valley it's a suburb outside of northeast philly I 
have, you know, two sisters. My parents grew up within the same house my whole life. Um, always played football as a young kid and then got serious about it in high school. Unfortunately, I didn't get any, uh, any division one scholarships. I had a couple partial scholarships to FCS schools and I ended up uh, taking a chance and walking on at the university of Pittsburgh played there. I was there for five years. I started for four. Um, and then just this last spring, I got drafted in the seventh round to the Las Vegas Raiders. And then from there I got cut and put on their practice squad and around week seven, the Texans called me and picked me up and put me on their active roster. So now I'm here going into my second year in the league. That's incredible. So I want to go back to this recruiting process. So when you're coming out of high school, you know, you're a good player. You played in the big 33. I'm a big 33 alum as well, um, we which is awesome. So it's always nice talking to, to an alumni, but um, just, you know, you're good enough to play colleges really aren't coming after you. What made you bet on yourself and just know like, Hey, I'm going to go to Pitt, an ACC school. One of, you know, one of the, the bigger power five schools you could go to. And I know I'm going to, I'm just going to work my way into a scholarship. I'm going to work my way onto the field. What did you like, what kind of thought went into that? Just betting on yourself. It kind of all, just a lot of things fell into place. The O-line coach at the time at Pitt, John Peterson, who actually just got hired at Cincinnati as the assistant head coach. Um, he and I really hit it off pretty well. He likes me a lot. Um, I like talking to him. And I, I kind of felt like, you know, you have to kind of weed through what's real and what's not in the recruiting process. And I just felt like he was being really genuine. Like he told me straight off the bat, hey, we don't have a scholarship for you. I would love for you to walk on. I think you can play here. And I took him, I took his word and it just felt right. I, I love the game of football. I knew my dream was always to play in the NFL. And I thought that a power five school would give me the best chance. Even if I only started a year or, you know, got two years in under my belt, I would have a really good shot of going to the league. And it's kind of, like I said, a lot of things just fell into place and I took that bet and it paid off. But um, I probably say like my love for the game really just, I love to play football and I wanted to play at the highest level. And that's really what was in like the back of my head. Like I knew a lot of my friends who played the FCS division two, II, division three level, and they all loved and had great experience, but I knew just like deep down, I wanted to play at the highest level I possibly could. And the walk on at Pitt gave me that opportunity. I, I want to touch on how you said, you know, your love of the game. And I want to emphasize that because I don't know if I've actually ever met anyone who loves football more than Jimmy. I remember we were in like week two of camp and everyone's dragging. We're sitting there being like exhausted. And I remember Jimmy just coming into the room being like, I love this. This is easy. And we all just like look at him like he's got three heads in. You know, we used to do this thing where we would weigh in and out before every practice. And then we would, I believe, weigh in before meetings later. And Jimmy would always lose like an insane amount of weight. And just gain it all back in water weight. He would have like 17 water bottles before the next meeting. And of course, rightfully so, you know, he'd be highlighted in the team meeting, just that dedication and work ethic. But it was just, Forgot it, was, about it. it was, dude, it was inspiring. And I was a fifth year senior at the time. And I'm like, this is honestly like, there's a reason why this dude went from walk on to, to starting. So, um, you know, it, even if that's all someone takes from this interview, it's just the, the commitment and the love of, of the sport to kind of just 
continue to, I guess you could say overachieve, but I really wanted to emphasize that because that's one thing that's always stuck with me about Jimmy. Thanks, Kyle. Yeah, Miss Catherine used to be on me about that. Our uh, Tim, Miss Catherine was our dietitian, and I, I'm a heavy okay. sweat. I sweat like crazy, and I used to lose like 10 plus pounds of practice. And she used to, there, man. used to weigh me in every two hours after practice because she wanted to track to make sure. And so I remember one day I like got like we were talking about it and she was like, you can't gain this back. Like we're going to have to like not let you practice tomorrow. And I was just like, that's not happening. And so I, I would always take a, my thing was I would go in the ice bath after every practice and I wouldn't get out until I finished a gallon of water. So I would, I would drink a gallon of water, <laughs> a gallon and like <laughs> ice bath for like 35 minutes. And I wouldn't get out until I finished the jug. That's unbelievable. Yeah. I, I'm a heavy sweater too. And I, I would be the same way. It, I feel like, as a receiver, like I'm 195 pounds whenever I was playing. And I used to same thing, like seven, eight pounds of practice, but I would be like dead. Like, I, I don't know. Like I remember going into the training room, just getting hooked up to IVs. It it felt like way too often, but it like that beat the hell out of my body. So to continue to do that. And then how Colin mentioned, you're just coming in. I love this stuff. Like that's one of the hardest things is losing all that weight and then putting it back on. Cause they do, they sit with you. I remember like my strength coach dumping salt on my food. I'm, I don't think that was the healthiest thing <laughs> to do in the world, but he wanted me to retain water. So he sat with me at lunch. He watched me eat as I just force fed myself and chugged water. But I just remember it being one of the most painful things that I dealt with was losing that weight, getting it back on and just going back after it the next day. Yeah. You're running to the bathroom like every 20 minutes because you chug so right. much water. Yeah. So you are a walk-on and within the first two years, so you're at your first year, within the first two years, you're starting at Pitt. You end up going on to win the Burlesworth Trophy, which for our listeners, that's the uh, best college football player who began his career as a walk-on. So that to me, and I have more respect for walk-ons than I do scholarship guys, because at some point you are literally paying for yourself to be there to wake up at 5 a.m., go to uh, strength and conditioning sessions, going to class, and then coming back for practice. It, I think that just I remember going through college and just thinking, like, if I wasn't on scholarship, I'm not sure if I could do it. So I always had, like, an insane amount of respect for the guys who walked on and decided to, to put themselves through it and, like I said, bet on themselves. But Talk about kind of your process, redshirting as a freshman, and then knowing that you're going to get to compete for a starting job and you're not even on scholarship yet. Talk about that a little bit. Yeah. So when I went in um, to Pitt, I came in, I think, June 24th of 2016. And I made like a list in my, uh, in my childhood bedroom. And I wrote down like all the goals I wanted to do. And I knew the starting center was going to be a redshirt junior in 2016. And then he had one more year after that in 2017. So I wrote down, I want to be a three-year starter. That was my goal. And we going into spring ball, we lost one of our guards. After 2016 season, kind of, I didn't really think I would have a shot to compete until middle of the season. I was redshirting and on scout team. And Coach Cannon, our offensive coordinator, was kind of like giving a pep talk to the scout team offense especially the o-line like saying we were kind of like dragging ass like not really playing hard and then at the end of the meeting he was like hey like morrissey just so you know like we've been watching you like you 
really like you impressed us. And then he just left. It was just like a quick little five second compliment he gave me. And then that's kind of like when it switched in my head, I was like, man, I was like offensive coordinator, like thinks I'm playing well, like I might have a shot. And we go into spring ball and they have another center. The backup center is now the starting center and they move the starting center from the previous year over to left guard. So now they have the backup center starting and then now I'm the third string because there's another guy in front of me. And we go into spring ball. I beat out the second string guy. And then now I'm behind the starter now who was last year back. This is kind of confusing. I'm sorry. So then now you're good. Two weeks through spring ball. Um, we're in a competition now because I was, I was just able to play well. Um, and now we're splitting reps for the rest of spring ball. We go into the spring game. I'm starting for one team. He's starting for the other team. And we get to camp that next that upcoming fall and we split reps for about two weeks again until one day uh, the coach kind of just told me like, Hey, I'm, you're the starter. And from there, I guess I just, I don't know. It, it really happened really fast. And I would just say like, kind of like, I really don't know why it happened. It's just like, like I, I worked hard and I, I lo- like I said, I, I loved waking up, going into the facility. Like my worst part of the day was going to class, which I mean, I still did it, but like, Everything, like, I always thought, like, I was born to be a football player. I was, like, once I got to Pitt, I was supposed to be in that facility. I was supposed to BS with the guys in the locker room. And, like, now I think I remember that conversation we had with Colin when I was, like, explaining to people, like, I love camp for the reason that you're around, like, the guys all day long. Obviously, the, like, you don't like the feeling that your body has. But, like, I just – I really enjoy being in the locker room. I enjoy lifting. I enjoy working out and practicing. I really do. Um and I think that just kind of helped me by – I looked at it that way where, like, if I really enjoy waking up every day and doing what I love to do, then the success will come with it. And that's probably how, you know, I got the starting job. I mean, how, so how did you keep the, the confidence? Did the confidence come from, from simply just loving, you know, loving the game? Or, or was it a chip on your shoulder? Um, you know, tell me a little bit about it. Definitely had a chip on my shoulder where it's like – it annoys you to think of all those like coaches that ignored me or just thought I wasn't good enough and like seeing the guys that they offered and it's fine. I never want to talk about another player or like other guys that got offers over me, but there is like deep down, you have that like inner fire where it just like, it makes you angry beyond anything else. And so really the thing that motivated me more than anything was like my parents who like, I mean, I, I don't I know if many people know this, but my parents, like my family paid for my college that first year. And I felt like I was indebted to them kind of. And like, I didn't want to let them down. And I was like, we were fortunate enough to where like, I was lucky that I didn't have to pay for my college, which was like a huge blessing for me. Um, but there was always that thing in the back of my head. Like my parents were, when I was like, hey, should I go to Dartmouth and try there? Or should I go take the half scholarship to Colgate? my parents were the ones in the family room, like, no, like go chase your dream, like go walk on, like you can always go down to a lower level and try out for them, but you can't always go up to pit kind of. And I just always had that in the back of my head. Like my parents were the ones that believed in me. They were like my biggest support system and I didn't want to let them down really. And that's kind of where majority of my motivation came from. I think one of the big things that kids need to be aware of as well. And the, the, the sediments out there that if you're good enough, they'll find you. However, it seems like, and if you look at the NFL draft over the years, 
the, most of the guys, I, sh- I should say almost 90% of the guys are FBS football players. They come from the bigger schools. So yes, they will find you if you're, if you're good enough. However, it's a lot easier than for them to find you when you're playing at a big school. If you look at just the numbers, if you look at power five schools, you know, there's 250 something people that get drafted. I would say probably 150 of those guys are power five guys. I would say maybe 50 or so more are um, the, the mid-majors, the MAC schools, Sunbelt, schools like that. And then you have FCS that might get, what, 15 to 20 guys. And then I, I remember last year, I think there was two D2 guys and one D3 guy. So if you want to get drafted, if that is your goal to, to play in the NFL, I, I'm not trying to like ruin someone's dreams here that's listening to this saying, oh, they'll find me at a D2 school. They, they can, there's a possibility that they can, but there's a much better possibility that they're going to find you at an FBS school. And the stats back that up. It's not, like I said, I'm not trying to ruin anyone's dreams, but for you to say, hey, my goal is to play in the NFL. I need to be at a big school to make that dream come true. I, I, if I start one year at an ACC school, there's a good shot that I'm going to get drafted or picked up. And for you to think that way at that young of an age and understand that, and for your family to, to keep pushing you like, hey, you want to play in the NFL, that's your end goal. Go to an FBS school because that's going to give you the best probability. I think that is a very mature and realistic decision that you made that set yourself up for where you are right now. Yeah, like I I have, uh, I can't say like, I don't know how to put this, but like I can't say enough nice things about my parents and like the way they supported me. Like it's just really like they're always like they're my two biggest fans and they never had any doubt even when like I, I doubted myself and I was like uh I don't know like Colgate really wants me and like it's the same price as in-state tuition at Pitt the other half of like they gave me half a scholarship I think even like the other half that I would have to pay for was even actually more expensive than Pitt but it really like wasn't like they never even brought up the tuition at all it was like hey it's all about chasing your dream and like that's why I, I'm always, you know, extremely grateful for them. I hope my rant right there didn't like burst someone's bubble calling. I see you looking at me like, <laughs> no, no, it's true. I mean, it's so true. I mean, that's part of the reason I tried to go up though. And, you know, I was obviously, you know, a preferred walk on a pit. Unfortunately it was, you know, one year, but I mean, I got into to camp as a special teams player. I was a special teams player at pit and got into Buffalo bills, mini camp. Like, that's the, it is, there's a truth that it is true. And it's not to say that you can't make it anywhere else. It could, because you certainly can. There's division three guys who play in the NFL for, you know, long periods of time who become pro bowlers like Ali Marpet, who just retired. Um, however, you know, l- like you said, it, it does always help to, to go up and, and chase those dreams. But I think the emphasis on, on the chasing the dreams and being mature enough to, to put in the work, put in the effort to stay confident because it, life sucks as, as a walk-on, as I'm sure Jimmy can attest to at the beginning. You are at the very bottom of the depth chart, right? In my mentality, what worked for me was you might n- not know who I am when I get here, but you're certainly going to know who I am when I leave, right? And that's what kind of helped me is being mature enough to you know, know I have to put in the work. I have to work harder than the other people who are next to me. Cause I have to create more opportunities. And if you're at a smaller school, you kind of have to have that mentality as well is you're going to have to kick down more doors and create more opportunities that, than others. But you know, the mindset, you know, for me stays the same. 
Yeah, you're 100% with that. And and I know, so some of the guys I'm working with now, like D2, D3 guys, they can't even get into a pro day right now. You know what I mean? So they could be really good. They could be an All-American at a D3 school and be a phenomenal player. And I've seen a lot of NFL guys. They, some of these guys can fit in. Like there's a lot of D2 and D3 football players that are very, very good and better than some of the D1 guys. They just, you know, are at a smaller school, but some of these guys can't even get pro days. So you can have the best career in the world, but if you don't have any scouts showing up to, to where you're going to be, like, how do you even work out? How do you get in a camp? How do you get drafted? I mean, it's pretty much film or trying to wiggle your way into, into a big school's pro day. And a lot of those big schools don't let in the small guys. So we're getting off task here, but regardless, you know, back to what I said, I mean, just being a walk on and, and grinding it out, betting on yourself to me, you know, put you in a great position. So going into your sophomore year, you know, you're starting, this is your, your first year. I, I don't want to say you don't have to worry about being a starter, but um, you know, you're going to be a starter coming off your, your red shirt freshman year. You end up getting hurt at the end of that season. Talk to us about what went through your head. Cause you see, when you mentioned whenever you took over the starting role, there was a lot of movement, right? There was the backup who was potentially going to be a starter and then guys move center to guard and talk about when you have that energy or uh, injury, what went through your head? Is that like uh, my starting spot might be gone now whenever I come back? Yeah. So no, I, we had a really good year. That was probably like one of the best O lines that was at Pitt for a while. Um, 2016 had a really good O-line, but you know, I don't know. That's kind of a crazy statement to say because I don't know the years before, but we had a really good O-line. We finished top 10 in the Joe Moore award for best O-line in the country. And I just got all conference honors. So I felt kind of pretty stable at the position also because I was the only returner coming back. It was me and four seniors. So they were all gone. So we had four positions to fill. So I kind of felt confident, like, hey, my center spot's fine. But it really, like, made me heartbroken because I wasn't able to play in the ACC championship against Clemson. And they had three first-round D linemen and one second-round D lineman. Like, it's arguably one of the best defensive lines in college football history. And, like, it was the first time Pitt's ever been to the ACC championship. And that was, like, really what made me, like, heartbroken. Like, I was crying for days by myself and, like, not being able to be out there. And like, we worked so hard to get to that game. And it was just, that was really just was heartbreaking for me. And really I had like these dreams in my head, like, Hey, next year will be my fourth year. I'm going to play my redshirt junior year out. And then I'm going to leave for the draft. And I thought I would be the top center picked. And then everything kind of got derailed. I ended up having a great junior year after that, probably my best year in college, but it just didn't really work out the way I thought it did. And I'm not blaming that all on the injury at all, but these are just like the dreams that I had in my head at sophomore year. And all of a sudden it all came crashing down. I was like, Nope, none of that's happening. Like we got to rehab an yeah. ankle in months now or whatever it was. Right. And the power of thought, like the power of believing in yourself, how you mentioned you wrote down these things in this notebook that the goals that you want to accomplish, it's almost like you spoke those things into existence. So I know after you accomplish those goals, you probably write down more goals, right? So now that there's something that you mentioned derails it like an injury, it's like, hey, you know, this has taken me off of, of the path that I thought was on. Now you almost have to like, you know, adapt and redirect and kind of figure out what's next. So oh, yeah. that, that whole time was terrible. It was like, because I really felt like my world was ending, which I was fine. I was, I don't know, 20 years old and I still had two more years of eligibility left. And like, like I said, my, my job, I probably had 
besides Kenny and maybe like a, a D end or like a couple guys on the team, I had a very secure job. Like we needed to fill four offensive line spots. They weren't going to just say, Hey, the only returner you're out of here just because you got injured. Right. Or <laughs> I had a very comfortable situation. It's just still in my head. I couldn't like believe that it just happened. It was the first time I ever really got hurt too. So that's why like, it's just, I wasn't used to it. Perspective is everything too. So like, for you, that that was everything. For someone else, like looking, you know, outside in, they might be like, "That's not a big deal." However, the your own perspective matters, and, and you know, not being in that scenario, not being hurt before, it was it's a new challenge, right? In, in trying to navigate those scenarios. Um, but I will say, you know, one thing, you know, when you got hurt, it was it was fell through the team, like there, it was kind of like took the wind out of us. Like we just clinched the the ACC against Wake Forest, but it's like we just lost arguably our, our best player for, you know, the rest of the season, the most important games. I think we, correct me if I'm wrong. Did we lose out from that point? Yeah. yeah. So we had gone on like a six game tear where we're just mauling teams and then we lose Jimmy and, you know, everything changes. So, you know, it, it just kind of shows the the progression on how important, you know, Jimmy became going from walk on to, I believe you became a captain. Was it that year? The next year it was the next year. Yeah. So, I mean, just, just, I, I can't highlight enough, just, um, you know, your presence and, and maturity and work ethic and how everything, you know, worked out for you um, and how it continues to, to kind of be a challenge, but, you know, th- things seem to fall in your favor right now. Um, so, you know, maybe start talking about, let's get into the NFL picture now. So you get drafted, you know, cut to practice squad, sign you get to start a couple games and we go through that process a little bit yeah my the like most stressful like we were talking before the podcast about like the the highs and the valleys like just ebbs and the flows the biggest like margin of difference between a high and a low in one day was the draft day that was insane like i was i went from breaking down crying in my parents bedroom just like talking to my dad to crying that I got drafted. So like, I'll take you through the draft day. So I had like my close family, nobody really like outside. I had probably eight buddies there, my girlfriend, and then like my grandparents and then just like my two uncles. So we're at my house and I'm waiting there all day long. And my agent's like, Hey, like you're going to go late day three. He's like, but I think you'll be gone between the fifth and the sixth round. And we had a couple teams contact us, like asking, inquire, like, Hey, ask my agent, like, what other information have you heard? Like, when do we need to grab him? Blah, blah, blah. So the way it works is if you're a priority free agent, you already have to commit to your team that you're going to go to before the draft even ends. So we were, so my agent was negotiating uh, like free agency spots in the fifth round of the draft, just when the fifth round started. So I had, I already committed to the New York giants by the sixth round. So we had like all these teams and we're writing down like, Hey, these are the assigning bonus. This is a guarantee. This is the depth chart. Like my agent, and I already chose like the best places for me to land if I were to not get drafted and giants, I think were number two or number one, like the best spot for center to go. And they gave me like the best contract. So we committed to the giants. And I remember my dad was just, I went into my parents' room cause it was right off to the side and I needed to like write everything down and like talk to my agent. I couldn't be distracted by everybody out there. And my dad was just like, all right, congrats. Like, that's awesome. And I just remember like breaking down. I was like, man, like all this I went through, like, I mean, I sound like a victim saying that, but which I wasn't, I had such a great college experience. I was like, man, like I, I chose like to walk on, I chose to be this. 
I was like, and I'm going to have to walk on again. Like I really thought I did enough just to hear my name called. And so like, it was just like crazy. And then uh, he was just like, Jim, like everything will be fine. Like, you know, you'll be good. Like just do the same thing you did in college. Like just work your butt off and everything will happen. Whatever's supposed to happen will happen. So I go outside, tell everyone, everyone's excited. And then we're hanging outside. And another center who my agent represents, who ended up going free agent, called me. And he was just talking to me. He's like, man, he's like, this sucks, doesn't it? And I was like, yeah. I was like, kind of like hearing someone else talk negative made me stop talking negative. Because I was like, dude, like, we're two guys complaining about going to the NFL right now. Like, that's what, like, we're not getting drafts and we're signed free agency deals or whatever. And we're just like, yeah, you know what? And then we started laughing about it. And next thing you know, I got a phone call from Mike Mayock, the GM of the Raiders. And he picked me in the second round of the uh, second pick of the seventh round. And the rest was history. It was like insane. It was the happiest day of my life. It was awesome. So then I go to the Raiders, have a really good OTAs, had a really good uh, preseason. My last game of the preseason was my best one. It was awesome. I felt really confident. But the way it worked out, they just paid a center, Andre James, who's the starter there now, who's a terrific player. And then the backup, Nick Martin, was coincidentally the starter for the Texans for the past five years who was like a Pro Bowl alternate, like a really good, like he's a starting center. He's not a backup. So they already had two really good centers and no, and so no NFL team carries three centers, but they put me on practice. They cut me, which I knew was coming kind of, which that's why I was able to like brace for it. And it wasn't like shocking. Like when I got called into the office, I knew it was happening. So I got put on practice squad. That stunk. And then like the whole season, my agent was like, Hey, we got to get you on the team. We got to get you pulled up. We got to get you activated somewhere. So one day I was on the phone with him. He checked in with me every week on like around Mondays, the day after the game, just to talk about the game. And I was like, yeah, you know, we had a good game, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, all right, like you going to work out. I was like, yeah, I was like, all right, I'll talk to you next week, whatever. So hang up with him. I go work out. I come back into the locker room and I have a missed call from my agent. I'm like, what is going on? So I call him back. He's like, hey, Nick Casario, the general manager of the Texans, wants to know if you want to move down to Houston and play for them. And I'm like, holy shit, what is happening right now? I was like, this is insane. <laughs> and I was just like, at first, it was like all these emotions. I was like, I can't move to Houston. I'm already in Vegas. I'm settled here. I like it. And then I remember, Colin, I remember us, uh, Coach Strap, one yeah. of our strength, him. He told me uh, that he, he said, so he gave me some quote that I still remember. It's like, change is uncomfortable, but change is really good or something. So I was just like, I always carry that with me. I'm like, man, change is good. Like I need to change the scenery. These guys want me to play. All I want is an opportunity to play. So I was like, Hey, yeah, like we're going to Houston, like no doubt about it. So then that next morning I was on a flight at 8am. I packed up my entire apartment into my car, my Ford Explorer, which I'm in right now, packed up my, like to the brim, had it picked up to get shipped that next week. And I was on a a flight the next morning and I was landed in Houston, stayed in the hotel for a couple of weeks and then had my own apartment. But yeah, it was, it was crazy. And then I got to the Texans and within, I think 18 days, I started my first game, which was wild. Like that was not how I, I dreamt of my first start in the NFL. Yeah. Tell me so about crazy. the start though. Yeah. I, w- I want to hear about, you know, your first start. How was it? How'd you grade out? And then uh, maybe go a little bit from there. Yeah. So they didn't give us our grades here, which, uh, I don't know why, but they just didn't. It was, I'll take you through the start now. So 
<laughs> this is, I mean, this is like, this is everything though that we just talked about. This is everything kind of coming into fruition, I guess. Like this is everything that you dreamed of. Maybe, maybe not how you dreamt it happening, but it's everything you, that you've been dreaming of for so long. And all of a sudden it's here. Like, yeah. I mean, that's just such, that's such a crazy thing to think about. Yeah. It all happened really, really, really fast. So I think I got picked up the 19th or the 20th of October and I started my first game, I think November 7th. So I got picked up here. Uh, they just gave me like a crash course real quick. The night I got here on the playbook, I took my iPad home, studied the installs and I didn't dress that first weekend, but the weekend from that weekend on, I was the backup center suited up on the sideline. So I was like, damn, I really don't know any of these plays. I was just studying what I was just in plan was like, I didn't know the playbook at all. I was just saying like, Hey, we have these 10 runs in and these are our protections and that's it. That's all I was studying. So then we get to the third week I was there and I get, and I was having like weekly meetings with our O-line coach, James Campen, who's now with the Panthers. He's awesome. And he was meeting with me every like Friday or Tuesday morning and Friday morning. And it was Tuesday morning of the Miami Dolphins week. And he's like, so like, how you like it, blah, blah, blah. But the night before I was there studying and all these coaches, the head coach walked by me, Coach Coley, and he was like, so you ready? He's like, you ready for this opportunity? He's like, you're going to be great. Like, you're going to be great. I'm like, oh, thanks, Coach. Like, that was weird. What was that about? And then I saw the special teams coordinator, Frank Ross, and he was like, did Coach Campy talk to you yet? And I'm like, no, why? And he's like, all right, I'll let him tell you. So that night I went home and I'm like, what is going on? Am I going to start this week? Like this week crazy. So I go home and I meet with Campy the next morning and I'm in his office and we had like a whole 30 minute conversation and he didn't bring it up at all. So I was like, okay, I guess like those coaches were just misinformed. And then at the end of the meeting, he was like, you're pretty confident with this stuff. And I'm like, and I just told him, I was like, yeah, I'm like, when I study, I'm confident. Like I, I'm prepared. I feel like I'm prepared now. I know this game plan pretty well. And he's like, all right. He's like, cool. You're starting this week. And I was like, holy smokes. <laughs> so the first time I got any reps with the first team offense at center was that week, the week I was starting. And we didn't have, we weren't, I think we had pads on Wednesday, but other than that, it was like a walkthrough on Thursday and Friday. And then fast forward, get to the game. I'm going against Raekwon Davis, who's the nose guard. He's like six, seven, three thirty. I think he's listed at, but he's like probably three forty five, three fifty. I don't know how big he is, but he was, gigantic played decent had an all right game we lost the game which stunk but uh they were like okay i think with my performance it was it was just as good as you could probably get with like two and a half weeks notice and not really being able to prepare that much but it was an absolute dream come true like i i i got interviewed by some guy in philly who's a really good writer joe and he wrote an article on me and i just told him i was like dude i was bawling my eyes out and during the national anthem. Like I couldn't believe it. It really was like everything came to fruition. As you said to him, that's incredible. That's a story. You took the words out of my mouth. I was going to say it's incredible, Tim, but like it just, you know, and even though you, you never really dealt with, you know, true mental health stuff. I mean, there's a lot of, of mental torture that you go through all this time and just being able to, to take it on the chin. And like you said earlier, not being a, a victim. I mean, it's just, it's incredible. And, um, I really hope that, you know, whoever our listeners are, they, they just, they hear what you're saying and kind of how things worked out, but no, no path is a straight path, right? You're going to have hiccups. You're going to have hills. You got to climb over. And 
yours just sounds like a whole a whole bunch of zigzags you kind of had to navigate but um you know you, you continue to live out your dream and improve yourself every day and it's it never comes how you expect it but i'm sure it, it feels the the same all the way through this year was just complete chaos for sure and i remember telling my dad when i got picked up um my dad and I are very close and same with my mom. And like, whenever like I'm talking to them on the phone, if they think something's wrong, though, my dad will be like, you all right. And I'm like, yeah, why? I'm, I'm fine. He'll be like, all right, you just don't sound the same. And I'm like, what do you mean? I don't sound like, so he do <laughs> with that mind probably like every day. So when I got signed in Houston, cause like, I mean, it was awesome. I got activated and my, my paycheck was like five times more what it was. Like I was going to get a credit season, a chance to play. And my dad just like kind of felt like I wasn't happy. And it wasn't that I wasn't happy. I was living out my dream. It was like everything I ever wanted. It was just, I was stressed. It was so much to comprehend. You know, I had like, it was just, it was just a lot going on in my life. And I remember telling my dad, like, Hey, these are, I felt emotions like these past two weeks when I first got to Houston that I've never felt in my entire life. And like, I really didn't know how to deal with them, like stress, anxiety, whatever you want to call it that like I was going through, it was kind of just like, Hey, revert back to my old ways, like study the playbook, get in early, do everything right. Be a walk on again. Like whatever anybody else does correctly, like you have to do it that much better because you're a walk on and you don't have a scholarship. You can get cut any day or whatever. Those like, well, these are just things that I have rules that I've abided by since I was a walk on. And that just like helped me like, Hey, when I go through these like bad moments in my life or like uncertain moments, I guess they, they weren't bad moments. They were great moments. It's just like, go back to what you can always look like, hang your hat on. And that was for me, just my love of the game. I love, I was living out my dream and I was just working as hard as I possibly could. And usually things will work out for you. If you're going to take away like one thing from listening to this podcast, it's number one, be- always believe in yourself you know, you know, you're, you know, you the best, you know, yourself better than anyone else. You started that in high school when schools weren't recruiting you, you bet on yourself. You did it in college. You're, you know, you're a walk on, you bet on yourself to get a scholarship. Now you're betting on yourself to get drafted. You know, you're thinking that, Hey, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a draftable guy. And then you go through all this stuff. I think just the general public sees guys in the NFL. They think everyone's making millions and millions of dollars. They think everyone is living, living this glamorous life. I don't think people understand, like there's a, there's a big difference between like the Tom Brady's, the Aaron Rodgers, but at the same time, these guys went through similar stuff to what you're going through. Tom Brady was a super late draft pick. Like, yeah, we see all the glamor now that comes with it, but he was a borderline could get cut guy at any time at some point. Right. Aaron Rodgers, same thing. He goes to to Green Bay. He's sitting behind Brett Favre. It's like, is this guy ever going to play? Maybe he's not good enough. So these guys and the majority of the NFL have dealt with similar stories. Like there's very few people like, I, I guess Aaron Donald would be an example that just comes in as a freak of nature right away. But well, even, even him, he was under-recruited also. Yeah, right. So I think people just see the, the glamour and, and they don't understand that like this, that life, you know, going from I might be a starter to, you know, possibly being cut. I don't know, you know, packing up your apartment and leaving for Houston in the matter of 24 hours, you know, not really knowing what the future holds. I, I don't think, I think people think it's all like sunshines and rainbows in the NFL and they don't, they don't really see the grind and the, the mental fortitude that it takes. Cause 
a normal person that is dealing with with what you went through, like, hey, no one, no one's recruiting me. You know, how did you feel in the draft? Like, this is a good question too. How did you feel in the draft? Like, did you feel you were better than the first, second, third round guys that are getting picked up? Like, how did how did you feel about that? I think the older I got when I started getting out of college, it was more of like I didn't really focus on the other guys. I think they're all great players. I know a couple of them, the centers that got drafted in front of me. Um, but I wasn't, I knew my senior year, I didn't have good tape. Um, it was probably one of my worst years in college. So I, I kind of knew I was like, and it, I'm, a sh- I'm like kind of embarrassed that it took me that long to realize it. But when I was training for the combine is really when like the self-awareness kicked in, like, Hey man, you had like a bad senior year and that's nobody else's fault, but yours. So I could, I couldn't get frustrated at those other guys that, Hey, maybe I know I'm going to have a better career in the NFL than these guys. But if I'm an NFL scout, I would draft them over me too. I just, I, I didn't have impressive senior year film. And so that's really um, what allowed me not to get angry at those other guys getting drafted in front of me. I didn't think I earned the right to get drafted earlier. Um, but deep down, I know that like I will have a good career and like I'm going to be a starter in the NFL one day. And it's just like, I, I really didn't focus on other guys myself. I was kind of more just disappointed in the year that I put on tape. So I love that. I love hearing that. I just read a Twitter thing that uh, this was one of my favorite tweets ever. It was, it was comparing amateurs and professionals. And one of the things was amateurs blame everyone else around them. Professionals look inside and blame themselves and then do something about it. So that that's a prime example right there. I'm a big believer in extreme you know, uh, accountability and the fact that I control kind of everything, you know, that happens to me, nothing happens to me. Everything happens because of me is one of my own um, personal mottos. So, uh, you know, I think what you said kind of, you know, ref- reflects that a little bit. So I love hearing that anytime anybody talks about accountability, because like you said, Tim, I-, I think it's, it's a very professional, mature thing to do. And I think that's where a lot of growth co- comes from. And I will say, Jimmy, you know, I, I got to thank you because I did win a, a bet. I did uh, make a bet that you would get drafted um, instead of some other, you know, just, you know, being on the inside with some friends. There were, I would argue with people about who would get drafted from Pitt. And I was like, I'm telling you right now, I'm like, Jimmy Morrissey. I was like, I don't care about anything else. I'm like, Jimmy Morrissey's the best guy in that class. He's going to get drafted and he will start as a rookie. So you won me a couple bets. So I got to thank you. <laughs> Let's go. Love that. <laughs> thank you for thank now you. We gotta, <laughs> now we got to find out who bet against you, Jimmy. That's messed up, man. That's yeah, crazy. <laughs> <laughs> so, Jimmy, now, you know, you start a couple games last year. You, you mentioned off the air that there are, you know, some guys still there that you're going to compete with. And um, you go through a coaching change right now. You know, what a, how is uh, the new coaching staff coming in? You know, uh, kind of explain what's next here, you know, in, in your career as a Texan and, and where do you see yourself going with everything in the future here? New coaching staff. There's been a lot of change. Uh, Lovey Smith was our DC last year. So he's been in the building and a part of the organization. And I'm still, you know, new to this team, really. I came here week eight, I, th- I believe. So I haven't had a full off season or, you know, preseason with them either. So I'm still kind of, you know, trying to learn. Um, always trying to learn, but just see how really the Texans operate and just trying to make sure I fit in and, and I'm a good teammate when needed. And uh, 
just trying to really grow as a player that from year one to year two, that's a big jump. So I just want to make sure I, I make a lot of improvement. And yeah, Justin Britt, our starting center, he, uh, he's a free agent. So we'll see what happens with him, but you know, chance if he gets signed back or not, or if they draft somebody or bring in somebody else from the free agency market, I'm just going to still continue to work as hard as I can. And I'm going to push the other guys here and they're going to push me. And that's just the way it works. So I'm, ex- I'm really excited for it. And like I said, I'm, I'm living out my dream. So I love going to work every day. Amazing. I love that. I'm going to have to find someone else to, to take some bets on. I got to place some new bets on you there, Jimmy, because <laughs> you know, obviously, uh, you know, I think the word of you, um, you know, I don't have any personal more questions, Tim. You might have a couple more, but you know, again, don't want to hold up your day, but I want to thank you so much, you know, for coming on it and sharing your story a little bit. I think, it's truly just a phenomenal story and a lot for a lot of different people to, to take from it. Two more things. One, where can we find you social media? You know, where are you most active? I know some of, some of like the guys that I've noticed that like love football and only care about football. Like they're not the most social media. Like they're not the whole, like, Hey, I need to brand myself. Like you don't make TikToks like half the NFL is <laughs> doing. Like I, that's not how I picture you, but where can we find you if someone wants to follow you and, and follow, you know, your continued story here? Yeah, I'm on, uh, I'm on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, and you can just search my name, Jimmy Morrissey, it should come up. Uh, but yeah, I, I like going on social media, which I try to shut it down or I do shut it down a lot during the season um, and during camp. But yeah, I like throwing up the occasional post and story. I think, I think it's good. I think it's fun as long as you don't become doesn't consume your time, which sometimes I do have to step away from it, but I'm on, I'm on Twitter and Instagram. You can find me there. So cool. And then last thing, one piece of advice for a young kid listening to this, that might be in the same situation as you maybe being under recruited in high school. Give me one piece of advice that you would give that kid. One piece of advice. I think something that I'll probably say that like my dad gave me, um, my dad told me that man was put on this earth to work and you got to find what you love to do and wake up every day and go to work. So that's kind of what I, my dad taught me really is that, you know, men and, and, and women too, but men are put on this earth to go to work and you got to love what you do. So go to work. I love hearing that. Jimmy, thanks so much for coming on, man. This is uh, it's been great hearing your story and, we really appreciate you sharing with our new podcast. I, th- I think this is going to motivate and, and uh, influence so many, so many people listening. Yeah, I had a great time. Colin, thanks for having me on, Tim. Nice meeting you, man. Uh, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much, man. It means a lot. Hope you guys enjoyed the interview. Make sure you check us out on social media at Identity Impact. And please like, rate, subscribe, leave us a review. Let us know uh, what you like, what you don't like about the Identity Impact podcast. We'll talk to you guys soon. Your identity is deeper than your gameplay, so you should treat every single day like it's game day. Cause all the worship stays set for you to shine. Block out any other thoughts that tell you otherwise. Interested by you, you're created with a grand design. That means your humanity cannot be minimized. And these are all facts. There's way more to you than just scores and stats. And when you need a reminder of that, tapping with identity impacts.